everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I'm a 33-year-old entrepreneur, podcast host, pop culture commentator. Uh, I wrote a book once, and working on others, it's a whole process and a thing, and maybe I'll talk about it sometime. I don't know. I'm around. Um, <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> I- I'm not putting a ton of pressure on myself. I hope you aren't either. I like... I think there are really great influencers that help you kickstart a you new. <laughs> a new you. I am not that person. <laughs> so if you're interested in staying the exact same, stick around. Have I got the show for you? In all seriousness, though, I feel like I definitely do need things to look forward to. And I think that we all are in a very weird place of, you know, periods of hopefulness when we see essential workers and... Uh, high-risk individuals starting to get the vaccine uh, and the like, but also really having no realistic idea of when and if things go back to normal, what we can really plan for. It's it is it's just a weird state of limbo that we've been in for now almost a calendar year. And I, I it's a funny thing where, I don't know, I, I'm always wrestling with like glossing over things and trying to be more uplifting versus just telling you exactly how I feel and exactly how I feel is like anybody who's ever said new year new me I don't think has ever lived in a cold climate part of me likes the dreary melancholia that winter brings in Chicago it's typically when I have creative breakthroughs and some serious personal lows uh but like I don't know it's it's too hard for people like in Chicago and I imagine like I don't know the Yukon like Chicago isn't that far north and there's colder places but the wind chill here is otherworldly and I mean we're not it's not like casual cold it's like frostbite cold it's like Longfellow Deeds is toe gangrene cold that was a weird reference but if I'm being honest I was just thinking about Winchesterton Fieldville uh from Mr. Deeds because I crowdsourced on Instagram what you know in your town growing up what was the suburban subdivision that had a purposefully r- rich sounding name that you know wanted people the people that lived there and anybody who didn't live there to feel like it was essentially you know east egg uh but the answers were so funny <laughs> brief detour can i just tell you some of them i mean i'm exaggerating kind of but they were it was a real who's who of trying to make something sound richer or like aristocratic or I don't even know, but just adding silent E's everywhere. Point E, park E, uh, old uh, town. Uh, it's like, why we don't, there's the, uh, the old e, with an E English obsolete spellings were so prevalent as were the needless uh, number of words and descriptors describing i don't know it's like they name the neighborhoods after alleged historical or topographical or plant or animal life features that i guess are representative of the area whilst killing all of that stuff off to build a bunch of mcmansions (laughs) and i don't know like for example everything's like uh, brandy wine 
estates by the cliffs of nobleton and i'm like what it makes me think that meme that's like man this is wendy's like this is the we're in the outskirts of indianapolis like it's fine relax we we get it money talks wealth whispers whispering hills whispering hollow whispering oak whispering town whispering bluffs that's cobblestone glen it's like what it what there, there are that many houses at cobblestone glen you have to specify which are whispering bluffs also, the whispering thing is hilarious. Like, I really think it's grounded in, like, money talks, wealth whispers. And if you have whispering in your neighborhood name, you, your house is screaming at me. It has, like, so many gables and turrets and, like, I don't know, a moat. I just think it's funny. I I, I think that uh, super new, like, construction that is trying to be old world is funny. Not because I'm above it or I can afford it, but I don't know. It's just like, why why are we trying to pull off 17th century French Baroque? Like your kids' names are Paisley, Brinlin, and like Noxtifer. I just don't, like it was built in 2014. Coney 2012 is more vintage than your home. That's supposed to remind me of like a Marie Antoinette Versailles, Versailles. <laughs> Sorry, uh, am I being mean? I'm also in a bad, like, Turtle Creek Lane this morning um, was just like, my husband got me a new car. And I'm like, well, maybe I'd start out every day with gratitude if that was my reality. And like, I don't know, she seemed kind of disappointed or something. It wasn't a Tesla. She kind of was poking things and buttons like a person that's trying to take your photo quickly and passing but doesn't really know how to work an iPhone. It was interesting. It's like, I really am not mad at people's fortune. I hope to be successful one day. And I hope to be equally successful and generous. I think if it's your life, you're entitled to share it. And if your life happens to be really nice, that's your truth. And avoiding that would be being inauthentic. We've been over this. But I just think that people do not pay attention to this line that separates sharing and showing off. And I don't think people pause sometimes to say, is this adding value? I don't know. It, it's like we can kick up dust and uh, post in forums all we want, but like these people don't get canceled. They thrive. And unless we unfollow and actually ignore this behavior that ironically makes it more fun to gawk at, we're casting a vote to live in a world in which they thrive and it's our fault. So I try to stop bitching. But yeah, I don't know if I needed to like watch that today. Uh, but anyway, what was I talking about? How cold it is in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think my reality is just like, I I'm not like on a fitness journey. I'm not on like a wellness kick. Um, I feel like, if I'm honest, I feel hungover, and I'm not hungover, not from drinking, but it's almost similar to, like, 2020 was so rough and so bad. I feel a little hungover from it. And like, I almost like there's, I, there, I, there's no space in time and it's the morning after 2020 and I'm in this weird limbo space where the year hasn't really started yet, but it kind of has, but it's still like early morning and I still maybe have a little alcohol in my system. So I'm like slap happy. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? I feel like my, I, I'm, I'm essentially a stand up comic when I'm hungover. I feel, I find myself so funny, um, but I kind of feel like even if I wanted to talk about something serious or develop a journey, I couldn't because I just want to like laugh at stupid stuff because we, I, the, I truly feel like w I have no grasp on how to plan for this year, what's going to happen this year or any sort of rough timelines. I just, 
I don't know. Like, an Andy Cohen's Rockin' New Year's Eve, they Andre Day sung Imagine, and then they played, like, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the Hawaiian version, right after midnight. And I was like, this is so sad. I, I'm just not there right now. I, I'm somewhere hung over the rainbow, and I need to, like, just laugh and not be pensive for a minute because I feel like my last episode was intense, too. So let's just, like, do something stupid today. Does that sound good? What else did I want to complain about? Oh, yeah. Meghan Markle's podcast. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to complain about Meghan Markle's podcast uh, a little bit later. Because uh, I don't, I foresee myself getting too insular into what is upsetting me about a bunch of celebrities trying to tell me to live my life and how much they're getting paid in my own industry. But what else has happened recently? I'll talk about Ilaria at some point. Uh, I'm going to try to tie in some more uh, current events with going through this list. Uh, but oh, yeah, Kim and Kanye are allegedly divorcing, which is not surprising. Um, obviously, I don't know. I'm always careful with this because Kanye's mental health, like, I do think it's tough, uh, to watch him, like, kind of tweet and do a lot of things and people call him crazy, but, like, I kind of, he's, like, in a state of mania and, like, I don't know, it just doesn't always feel appropriate to comment on and, but also it's, like, I was so, you know, frustrated for the potential of him disrupting the election and how, like, egocentric and unhelpful and unnecessary his running seemed. And then when I listened to him on Rogan, it was, like, a terrifying look in the mirror in terms of tangents because he could never stay on a thought. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to be like that. Um, but I don't. I've kind of always been under the impression that he and Kim are more of a business arrangement that has a little love than the reverse. Like, I, I do think it behooves a lot of couples to stay together and they will live separately. They will have side relationships, but they have like essential empires together. I kind of picture Jay-Z and Beyonce the same way. That's not to say they don't love and respect each other and they don't legitimately have kids together. But like, look at Barry Diller and Diane von Furstenberg. Like, I just think there's some couples that are like titans of industry that stay together and live their life pretty separately and secretly and i don't know uh, they still achieve the optics of being married and no i you know don't have any proof of that but that was always just kind of my assumption and i feel like i don't know there's a lot of um the way kanye has talked about kim is very sweet in many instances and while unfortunately the only interview i can think of right now is one of my favorites where he's like can you believe it? We don't have a jacuzzi. Because <laughs> Kim's like, we don't have a jacuzzi. Uh, she, I don't even know what the context was. Maybe it was Architectural Digest. But yeah, I mean, there's four kids and, you know, kids don't. I feel badly anytime people split up. And did I make a How the West was fun joke because I did enjoy the era of Kim Kardashian West? It was fun name change. We got Kick It Up You Beauty. I was frustrated that I spent all these years sinking time to the Kardashians to only get an iPhone recorded uh, Florence wedding special, but that's okay. It was still a joyful occasion. I loved hearing about how it took three days for them to the tweak the colors of the flowers so they'd get enough Instagram likes. I appreciated their unabashed pursuit of celebrity and wealth and uh, the turnover of Kim's image from sex tape star to fashion icon to covering Vogue to, you know, prison reform, attorney in progress. When is she taking the bar? I'm, I've been impressed with Kim's evolution. I'm not like a, like, I, I love the Kardashians because I think they're a really important part of the zeitgeist, whether you want to admit it or not. And their influence over the past, you know, 15 years or so is, is undeniable. Um, but I, I would be lying if I said I'm having, 
I'm still like caring as much as I once was about their whereabouts. I find Kylie's uh, Instagram presence to be insufferable. We get it. You're on a jet. You're an Aspen. I don't know. Courtney and Addison's friendship was interesting for a minute. Uh, they got a Hulu deal. And this last season of Keeping Up, I assume, will be interesting because now we know that they're potentially getting divorced. But are they? I get annoyed when it's like, you know, anytime something happens with the Kardashians, it's just everyone tweets the devil works hard. Chris Jenner works harder. Like, I don't know. I feel like at one point she was hustling to that degree. And I do feel like there's some media stunts now, but they're just famous enough where I think stuff gets leaked and always isn't within their control. And I do think Kim like legitimately loves and cares about her children. And I don't think every element of their life is tabloid fodder as it once was, because now they don't need the relevance to propel the engine the way they once did. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the last season is coming out soon. I'm not interested and probably wouldn't have watched. I didn't watch the last season because it was just like, Chloe is COVID. And I'm like, okay, can we a little less two on the nose? Life is art and a little more art. Vandalay. I hate hijinks for the most part on reality television, but I do like the Scott and Chloe combo. Uh, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm not interested in the way I once was, but now I'll probably tune in. So look at that. We don't know the details of their Hulu deal yet. Uh, we don't know if Keeping Up was moving over there. We don't know if Kim Kardashian, the rumors are true that she is dating uh, Van Jones from CNN. And in which case, you know, insert jokes here for Keeping Up with the Joneses which is the actual phrase, like keeping up with the Kardashians is based off of. At one point he interviewed her about, I think, prison reform, and he did call her brilliant. So obviously sleeping together. Uh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I don't know how the internet finds things. I guess Dumois, but even she posts stuff that directly contradicts all the time. And it's just, I feel like I get tips sent to me all the time and they're it's 50-50 if they come true or not. And it's just... It's so interesting to me how like rumors and stuff get started or like when somebody's like, oh, my cousin is so-and-so's best friend and tells me something. And it's just like totally not true. I'm like, who is like, why would you make something up to tell like a fledgling podcaster or but also maybe it's not you. Maybe it's the cousin. And are these like kind of not that famous people really planting false information a la Prince William to see who their real friends are? I just don't get how such crazy false information spreads because like, sure, I'll spread a rumor, but I, I don't make them up. Like, who is making up things that are just legitimately false? I just find that to be an interesting thing to do. And like, why? About people you don't really know or do know. Worse. Whatever. Um, oh, uh, Freckled Fox. I know I claim to not be on a wellness journey, but one thing that helps me just stay well year round is liquid IV. One stick, it's like drinking two cups of coffee when it comes to their energy multiplier. It gives you kind of that extra boost you need, whether in the morning or or mid-afternoon. You guys know how it goes. I particularly crash from like 3 to 5 p.m. I like to think it's because, of you know, when I used to get let out of like high school, I'd come home, take a snooze, wake up, watch Laguna Beach, you know, hit the town in my friend's cabrio and just like live a second life. But I can't siesta like I once did. So I need liquid IVs. <laughs> it's premium matcha and green energy blend that tastes delicious and provides a lasting energy boost throughout the day. Uh, it's, I've talked about before their cellular transport technology. It delivers an optional ratio of, um, uh, optional, optimal ratio of nutrients for a more efficient uptake and has an enhanced rapid absorption into the bloodstream to give you a lasting energy boost fast. It's very convenient packaging. Like I said, you just pour one stick into a cup or a bottle of water 
and uh, prepare to, I don't know, up your vibe, to use medical terms. Um, also, Liquid IV is on a mission to positively change the world, which I love, and they've donated over 6.7 million servings globally uh, to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active U.S. military, which is amazing. So if you want to grab your Liquid IV energy in bulk, uh, you can do so nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Be There and Vive at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code Be There and Vive at liquidiv.com. Start fueling your adventures today at liquidiv.com, promo code Be There and Vive. I don't want to brag when I say that you know, I've been reached out to by several people that took my advice and got themselves a Helix mattress at the place that they call their home that used to have a Springtastic mattress uh, so they can, you know, sleep comfortably at the place where they have the most uncomfortable conversations at their parents' house. You know, I'm not, don't say, don't say I didn't warn you, to quote Taylor Swift. Uh, I love Helix. It's an incredible mattress company, and I am a person that doesn't sleep very much, mostly due to my TikTok scrolling, but... Once I hit the pillow, I am quite comfortable because Helix Sleep is a quiz that I took that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a hot sleeper, a side sleeper, or like a plush or firm bed, with Helix there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress. And I know that it seems intimidating and daunting to buy a something you sleep on every night from the internet, but trust me when I say this proprietary quiz actually points you in the right direction. I have anecdotal proof of plenty. Um, and it was, you know, you can listen to me, but it was also awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So there's that. Uh, but also just go to helixsleep.com and slash be there in five specifically. Take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10 year warranty and you can try it out for a hundred nights risk free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. So again, Helix Sleep is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for, dang, for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash be there in five for up to $200 off and two free pillows. You guys, good pillows are expensive. Don't sleep on this deal. <laughs> Crack myself up. Freckled Fox. Uh, Emily, who I talked about in Mormon Mommy Bloggers Part 3, who I largely... Um, empathize with in a sense of her being widowed with five children at 25 years old uh she's a blog called freckled fox she was initially kind of well known for she has this beautiful long red hair uh and she kind of got big in the early 2010s had this husband named martin who uh got cancer uh very tragically died very young and many people on the internet this is kind of in the height of like gomi uh thought he was like faking it and started this internet campaign about this being a hoax and it wasn't which is so dark and horrible and um, then she was widowed with five young children within 90 days we find out she gets married to a man named Richard who she used to be pen pals with apparently Uh, but she met or married Martin when she was really young her late husband like 18 and then uh, after he died this former guy she used to like write when she was younger like shows up at her doorstep like hand deliver a letter and kind of like swoops in and they get married within 90 days they have another kid they're met with a ton of controversy he used to be a nurse but never really worked they keep like moving around got sued twice by her late husband's in-laws for like visitation rights um something with finances i don't know all the details it's all over the internet um but he was always like a little concerning and obviously as i raged against in the third part of the Mormon Mommy Blogger series in August 2019, um, or Snow, maybe it was October, I forget. Um, he was uh, carelessly, recklessly 
unconscionably cleaning his gun in a home where children were and accidentally shot his own wife. Uh, and then they tried to explain away and defend it. And it's just indefensible and insanity. And like, I never got over that. And I went hard out. I went pretty hard on them for that in that third Mormon mommy bloggers episode. And actually she at one point DM'd me like a ton of messages that I've never opened. I don't even know if they're still there, but I don't like, I don't know. I, I can't, th there are lines I can't cross. Like I said what I said, and I don't want to be one of those people that befriends bloggers and like then feels like they can't talk about them. I do have a lot of friends that are bloggers and my goal is to never uh, be out of turn, but rather kind of synthesize and express my opinion about uh, what people are talking about online and hopefully a way that's not mean. And I tried to be objective in that, like, it's just freaking irresponsible, reckless and insane. It's, it's horrible to have a gun anywhere near children and to irresponsibly clean it, period, much less in a home where they're present. Like, and I just, I'm, well, I hate guns, period, but we don't have to get into that. It's just one of those things where there's some things I'll have a productive conversation about, but just as you want to be granted the nuance to explain to me why whatever your gun argument is, is valid, I <laughs> don't want to engage because I have the nuance of having experienced firsthand uh, within you know, yards of me, the worst college campus shooting of all time happening with a person who had a serious background of mental health issues and easily seamlessly obtained firearms anyway. Like, I, it's just not a convert. It's just not it's, it's conversation I'm not willing to get into, even though I normally embrace nuance. Um, anyway, I assume that's what she DM me to defend. I'll read it at some point uh, <laughs> if it's still there. I actually don't think DMs delete. I really don't. But I will look. I, I know you guys probably think I'm weird, but if I think that like where people go wrong is, you know, giving people the opportunity. Like I, I, I think it's fine to give people the opportunity to explain themselves. Uh, but at a point, I am an empathetic person and I do care about people and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And even though I think things that happen to public figures are pretty on the table, when the public feature figure reaches out to you and it humanizes them, you're kind of like, oh, God, it, you know, it really affects you. And I just don't feel like it's fair for me in this position to be a person that just like stops talking about people because I'm worried they're going to reach out to me. And if they do, I just typically won't open it <laughs> um, with the exception of uh, the first more mommy bloggers when. Uh, Rachel Parcell corrected me on a bunch of like religious stuff, which I actually kind of felt bad about uh, because I don't want to be disrespectful, but I do want to be allowed space to give my opinion in the absence of having to feel like I'm falsely friends with people like being sweet to me via DM because they don't want me to talk about them. You know what I mean? I'm forever torn because I'm not like I'm not a mean person and I typically don't go for cheap shots. And like anybody else, I just want people to let me live. But sometimes it's like, I don't know, it's the most mild of a dissenting opinion relative to what's out there on the Internet. And uh, people gain a lot from like public interest and dialogue about them, yet won't uh, endure any trade off that's remotely, even if just mildly negative. 
in defense of their actions or intentions or whatever. And it's just like at a point you can't, I don't know, it, like it, it comes with the territory and I get that it hurts, but I just think there's a lot of people that like make reckless decisions online and then kind of have to argue for their intentions and retrospect when they should have done a better job of conveying them in the first place or do a better job next time. But the same people kind of seem to make mistakes over and over again. I'm not talking about anybody specifically, I guess. But anyway, in the event of the Freckled Fox, uh, they did announce like right around Christmas that they were separating. Specifically, she said, um, oh, no, it was around New Year's, maybe. Uh, we've decided to forego. Oh, yeah. They're, most recently, they were living in an RV. They, they have six kids. I don't even know if she's 30 yet, but she said, on top of all the external attacks and struggles we've already faced head on in our life together, Richard and I have decided to live separately going forward as we work independently and together and on growth and healing. We've decided to forego living in the RV and homeschooling. The kids and I moved into a fun new house in Utah County where they'll go to school. They work at selling our current house, older houses, and other big projects. We've been so quiet online about so many big, stupid things over the years because we really had no other choice. So we're digging inward and looking forward to the new year and all its possibilities for sharing those things and building our communities and connecting through the hardest things about life. I initially wanted to turn off comments on this post because I didn't want to hear all the ignorant and cruel judgments from people who had no real idea about our situation. I mean, me. Um, yeah, so she, uh, all things considered, is like just one of those things where I feel badly for her on so many levels, having, you know, gotten married so young, had so many kids so young, being widowed, that there's, there are no words for how difficult her, you know, very early life as an adult has been. It's not necessarily her fault, uh, you know, for getting entangled amidst a vulnerable situation and no one knows what really happened and I won't speak on their behalf but like I'd be lying if I said I wasn't relieved um that the person that seems to be the common thread of a lot of the challenges in recent years is um you know slightly separated from the situation uh if that's what's best for her and her kids I just feel like I don't know I like that's the thing I genuinely feel badly like I just I think She's been dealt a tough hand, and I think they've made some public mistakes, and I know the scrutiny is difficult. Um, and when you are, like, a full-time influencer, the way you make your living is sharing, and that becomes impossible when you have to pull back a little bit because the cruelty of the scrutiny becomes too much. But also, I don't know. It's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's a forever confusing uh, conundrum of Instagram blogger stardom. But... Uh, providing an update since i've talked about them before on the podcast uh you i mean there's plenty of stuff about this situation on the internet many much of it is quite cruel and i don't know the specifics of it uh but i just hope in the long run this is the safer more stable choice for her family and yeah i wish her all the best uh the other kind of interesting bloggery thing um Maybe I'll, I'll talk about Studio McGee and Dream Home Makeover later. I have a feeling uh, modern yet rustic decor will somehow magically be a trend as if it's not always a trend. <laughs> um, 
who was oh okay do you guys follow simply Susie's? i'm so interested in this so i've i don't follow her directly but i've watched different stuff of hers before because she does these retreats that are like really um vague instagram like growth hacking uh type of seminars that are like overnight and also incorporate like god a lot and uh i'm sure you know there's plenty of validity to the business she's built and i don't know a ton about it but what caught my eye initially is she does these like workshop retreat things that are six thousand dollars for two days she's doing them in february and march of 2021 i don't know how that's going to work in a pandemic in colorado it's five thousand dollars nine hundred five thousand nine hundred ninety seven dollars and it's like one-on-one -on -one coaching you get a brand photo shoot and like a graphic design suite like food and a swag bag and all that stuff um but it's like making a like 90 day content calendar, like a brand pitch book, working on your messaging, your marketing, your design, um, like basically uh, the, the kind of formula of if you have really nice photos, if you know your why and your value, and if you have consistent branding, you'll gain, you know, a huge following or whatever. Um, and like, I think Nora and I talked a little bit about this. I just I struggle with the literature of growth hacking and building an Instagram following and all kind of the um, old curriculum of what it takes to grow, because I think it's so dependent on your industry, your niche, the person's baseline talent and content creation um, and how you're able to differentiate yourself like. I think a lot of these like coaches operate in the era of hyper curated nine block preset, like flat lay vignette, light, bright, airy, uh, you know, handwritten click kind of messy calligraphy fonts. You guys know the drill. It's it's I don't say this to stereotype. Rather, there are a lot of people who kind of follow a similar aesthetic lead on their Instagram bios with like wife, mama, tell us how many littles they have, have somewhat curated uh, vulnerability about motherhood and marriage and whatnot and whatever. Like there's a space for everyone that's awesome. But I do think that there is, there's a, there's a type of like blogging and Instagram influence that was super effective in the era of Instagram aspiration and I've talked about before how I think the currencies largely shift to relatability and not necessarily faux relatability, but actual relatability. And I think a lot of these uh, a lot of mommy bloggers have kind of transitioned into the authenticity space. But if it does or doesn't come across is really a function of if it's actually authentic. Right. And I do think that a lot of the um, sort of turnkey solutions for Instagram growth probably used to work but i'm genuinely curious now if a lot of these best practices apply now and or evolve as platforms change i think i mean i have so many thoughts on this and i want to be so clear i am not blindly bashing another woman i believe uh your talents skills and gifts have value and i do not always think you need 
a bunch of credentials to validate your qualifications when you have experience that lines up with the thing you're providing advice for. But I think it's important to talk about the prevalence of these coaches and these bed-in-a-bag business solutions that oversimplify the process of success by ignoring a person's baseline privilege and advantages, one, and two, well, I (laughs) I forgot to say why I'm explaining this. Long story short, the person I'm talking about who does these uh, really expensive courses and retreats about growing an organic Instagram following pulled a bait and switch on her own Instagram handle, making it for a new brand she's working for slash maybe has part ownership of um, in this really kind of long convoluted explanation that completely goes back on everything she teaches. <laughs> and it's like, I've, I don't know why, but I find this fascinating to, that you build a business based on teaching people how to organically grow an Instagram, promising that your methodology is the way. Yet when tasked with having to grow your own Instagram for a brand you are now working for now that you are pivoting instead of putting your money where your mouth is and doing it, you know, deploying your own uh, secrets that you allegedly charge so much for because they are so proprietary and important and effective. Instead of doing that, you use your handle that already has the hundreds of thousands of followers. Well, 160 some thousand followers. And I'm just like, what? Like it, it's, it's this really fascinating alleged hypocrisy to me where I'm kind of new to her and that's maybe I'm able to talk about it so objectively because I don't know that much about her. But like I, if I'm your average consumer and I'm reading through the website about all that this is and all that I will get, and then I'm looking at your Instagram about this brand you're allegedly building and the tactics you're deploying to do so. There is a complete lack of alignment and it's wild. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, what I was saying is I I, I, I want to talk about this because I think there's a broader issue here outside of Simply Susie's. I'm sure she's a nice person. I don't know a ton about her, but I she was on my radar for how much she charged for these seminars that I am on high alert for because I just think it's hugely subjective and it, I think it's dangerous to suggest that people starting out like this is where you should spend your money what was i saying earlier oh yeah one just to make sure that the you know it's we've talked about with rachel hollis like your baseline privileges kind of align like make sure you're starting out from the same point and the person is factoring in that sort of nuance of the level of uh resources and the network they might have access to that might make things a lot easier for a person um, and that's not always the case. And I don't know this person's case, but I just think that's an important watch out, watch out in general. Um, and, and secondly, where, okay, it's one, if you're, if you're charging for your advice, especially charging a lot for your advice, this is where I think your background and credentials really do matter in terms of the value you're delivering. Um, I think that a third party institution or, you know, some organization that provides some sort of credential or license where this is valuable. I mean, not only because the person invested in it, but also that you are tapping into a specific knowledge they have from specific training that is objective that they then applied to their subjective situation in business. And they have a balance of both. It's like you go to like I went to business school. And I learned about accounting, BIT, business law, consumer behavior, marketing, you know, finance and the like. And then I applied it when I went to work at a business job. And then I've got subjective experience. You kind of have to have the foundation and the application to have a big enough picture in many cases to be able to project 
onto multiple different types of situations what best practices are. But people build coaching businesses off of their singular, highly anecdotal experiences building something one time. And it does not have the ability to project out in a way that makes it valuable for everybody. And when you're charging a very high dollar amount without an education background or third-party accreditation in something for, you know, to deploy a business model that works against your hyper-specific situation, I get concerned. On the one hand, I give advice here all the time. This is a free podcast. You can take it or leave it. I've done consulting before, but actually I even backed out of that because I was trying to help people scale their Etsy shops because it was so difficult to figure out how to do mine. And I wanted to be like a person you could call, but I didn't feel like I could meaningfully move the needle in a way that like I felt comfortable with. Um, And uh, I don't, I stopped doing it. Um, But I I, I give so much unsolicited advice. Like, don't get me wrong. Like much of it's anecdotal because I think Oftentimes, we only know our own experience. I don't chastise people for trying to help other people. But I do think that if you are a person who is starting over, wanting to pursue a side hustle, wanting another source of income, a single mother, a person who wants to be able to work from home more, all of these ways that women, and women myself included, are often targeted by these coaches online, um, and your funds are limited, you know, there's a way to inexpensively start a business. In life, things can be cheap and time-consuming <laughs> and difficult, or oftentimes expensive and easy and simple and straightforward. What I think a lot of people get wrong with these bed-in-a-bag business solutions is, first of all, looking to see if the person's credentials and background give them a diverse enough cross-section of business experience to be able to provide advice that factors in the nuance that comes with your business and other people's and matches the rate they're charging for. And if that's not the case, then is their anecdotal experience uh, a repeatable business model that has worked and been proven successful several times over in a sort of iterative process that showcases that what this person has to say is, is indeed proprietary and return is is able to drive a meaningful return that justifies the price. Uh, something's value is what you say it is, sure. But I do think there's an element of a return on investment that needs to be provable or teased out when you're charging $6,000. And having a branding suite and photography, part of that, like that, yeah, that's great. That costs money. That would be awesome to knock out. But things like how to grow your Instagram, building a content calendar, finding your vibe and aesthetic and voice and learning from other people whose Instagrams grew and blah, blah, blah. It frustrates me because, and this is why I question the motivation. And this is kind of agnostic to Susie's situation. But the reason I'm talking about her and why I'm so interested in this is because to backtrack for a second, she announced that she is switching her Instagram handle to a company called Jovi, which is a patch for menstrual cramps. And she wants to reach as many women as she can across the world to help relieve women of menstrual pain. A noble cause. Sorry if I'm repeating myself. I got lost in this conversation, but I just want to make sure I'm providing enough context. Again, I'm an average consumer just looking at the website, looking at her offerings, going through her Instagram. And this is what I am gleaning. Allegedly. (laughs) I just do. It's it's it's. It's very strange to me and worth discussing. The whole value proposition of the way this woman has made a lot of money off of people who likely don't have that much money is by selling them a bill of goods, a 
about growing an organic following. What an amazing opportunity to put your money where your mouth is and grow the Instagram account and grow this brand from scratch. Because if you were telling all these women, come pay six grand so I can help you grow your business from scratch because I have all the secrets. Great. Deploy said secrets against your brand (laughs) and organically build a following for this product. Instead, she gets on Instagram uh, IGTV and does this really long video, really long (laughs) compared to my podcast. It's only eight minutes. It was not that long. It's very earnest. She seems very sweet. Again, don't know anything about her. Uh, But uh, what I've read on the Internet that is available and starts talking about her journey with this company, Jovi, uh, that whose mission is great to help women experiencing like chronic pain from menstrual cramps. Like that is real. That is awful. I am I'm intrigued, but says that she, she is switching her Instagram handle from her personal one, Simply Susie's to Jovi, and it will be the Instagram account for this brand. And what, that is not a big deal in the event of like poosh, like a Courtney. Courtney changed whatever, I forget what the handle was. She changed it to Poosh and everyone's like, I didn't choose to follow Poosh. Like that's a weird bait and switch, but whatever. Courtney isn't making a living teaching people how to organically grow Instagrams. Susie's bait and switch is particularly interesting to me because instead of organically growing her Instagram, she's leveraging the following she already has that everyone who follows her is there under a different premise and completely bait and switching them. And instead of showing people how she can organically build a brand through an Instagram with a smaller following and watching a live testimonial of her own tactics deployed. She's having to use the other Instagram account that already has benefited from eight years of growth because that's how long it takes, because bed and bank solutions don't work, because there is no turnkey way to get a ton of followers nowadays. And anybody who tells you there is one is wrong. The nature of virality is that it is not formulaic. We do not know why it happens beyond that putting all your eggs in one basket and, and putting spending $6,000 on uh, this sort of coaching, not to say it's not valuable, but many of the things listed on the website are free resources you can find online if you put the time and energy into finding and leveraging free resources. But I'd argue that the people that will be successful in business have the grit to figure out what is free and what is not and to spend their money on things that are legitimately valuable and exclusive. And a lot of these coaching things are just repackaged, well-branded solutions that aren't proprietary to the people, but are kind of just aggregated from a lot of different places that are findable. And if you are going to build a business, you're going to have to work the type of hard that it takes to find this stuff in the first place anyway. It's beside the point. I think I'm just like so confused why there's no like forthcoming admission here of like, I've made a ton of money teaching women how to monetize and grow their Instagram. But when presented with the opportunity to monetize and grow an Instagram from scratch, I am not going to do it. I am just going to bait and switch and, you know, use my account that I've already grown to promote this brand. Because why? It's faster. And I don't blame her. I think it makes sense. Like you want to leverage the platform you already have to reach the most people. And it's an easier sell for them to get placed in publications and to get more clout because they like, wow, this must be legit. They already have hundreds of thousands of followers. But like that's it's hilarious because the entire reason she's doing that is to avoid the difficulty of the thing she claims she can solve. And this is what we need to watch out for, guys. And I get frustrated with coaches because I am I am in I am. I'm upset by the idea of a woman who is just trying to do their best, who is, has, the, has the gumption to go out on her own and start something for herself and dump $6,000 not into capital, not into education, not into labor, not into product R&D, 
but into this specific workshop for this per person that says they have the secrets and the return is there. $6,000 is a lot of money. And what this tells me is this person doesn't even believe the thing that they're selling. <laughs> it's such bullshit. And I'm really not trying to start something. I just, I, I, I really feel strongly that we have to watch out for this type of hybrid therapy business coach that can help women in hyper-specific circumstances that is not a one-size-fits-all. And I think it's a huge watch out when the person themselves won't even deploy the tactics they're selling because that would make them be in the same situation you are, which is no, with no followers, which is having to start from scratch. The joke is she wouldn't have to start from scratch. She, the Susie's school account has like 60-some thousand followers already, the one she's shifting all her personal stuff to. I don't think it's deliberately nefarious. I don't think she's a bad person. But I do think that this is a prime example of why so much online coaching and growth hacking type of content is utter bullshit. Beyond that, it, the nature of it can't be the, uh, this type of like academia and third party foundationals that apply to Instagram universally because it's ever changing. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, these social media platforms we don't own, they completely change. And the high levels of variation alone make it difficult for anybody to be a, a, a like complete expert on the best way to approach something. And when you're starting out a business, it's first and foremost, the priority needs to be the properties that you own and not the platforms you don't ultimately have control over. Invest in your website, invest in your own skills, invest in, you know, human capital and actual capital then use social media and marketing tactics to support it and grow it absolutely. But I'm, I, I don't know. I have no skin in this game. I'm just struggling with the hypocrisy. It's just my opinion, allegedly, <laughs> that this doesn't really line up. And the, the, the explanation is because like of the desire to create a community of women to help women. I get it. I, I want to help women too. Um, but I guess for me, the broader important thing in an effort to help women is to use examples like this as case studies for w why you should be mindful of where you spend your money and who you trust has the secrets and the importance of looking at their credentials and motivation prior to dumping a large investment into their services. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I also think it's kind of a pretty straightforward situation where... She's pivoting, which is fine. She's maintaining Susie's school, their $6,000 retreat. She, instead of leveraging the uh, brand building of the new company, it sounds like she kind of negotiated this account into whatever deal she negotiated because originally she posted a video in October saying the CEO came to Denver to meet with her to do brand consulting. They asked her to be a part of it. She was skeptical, thought it was as seen on TV type of product, but then realized it worked and wanted to help women, which awesome. And then they decided that what would be cool is like, what if we you know, brands didn't show up? What if we gave people the opportunity to take part in our brand? And so she has videos being like, pick out our color, pick out our branding. They built this like really elaborate Airstream that I saw on TikTok a long time ago and didn't put two and two together where there's a freestanding bathtub in the back of the Airstream. Um, it's cool. Uh, I, I don't know how it like what the office vibe is with like taking baths at work, but um, definitely good content. When I did a deeper dive, initially she said this product is called Jewel. Uh, 
and people in the comments are like, don't name it Juul. Like, obviously, Juul is a, like the vaping product. I'm sure it would be spelled differently or whatever. Um, which is funny. Like, why wouldn't she know that? Wait, are they Mormon? I actually don't. I can never tell. There's signs that, you know, per my obsession with, like, the prevalence of uh, young Mormon women with big families and successful online influencer businesses. Hold on. Is there a way I can figure this out? Oh, okay, they are. Oh, okay, now I'm annoyed because I feel like this seems like I'm t I target Mormons. I really don't. I don't. I, there's just a high concentration of Mormon influencers. <laughs> um, and this story has nothing to do with their religious affiliation. However, it would make sense that the name Jewel maybe wouldn't be as top of mind for people in their reference group if like Jewels aren't talked about or like used, but among young people. Obviously, they've been a problem. Um, but there's, you know, they moved to Rexburg, Idaho. In Rexburg, Idaho, there's another company, parent company, that does the same thing that provides like signal-based relief via patch for all sorts of pain. And my, what I'm assuming, but do not know, allegedly, uh, I've, I mean, I've seen this sort of thing. It's called transcutaneous, T-E-N-S, like TENS, the abbreviation, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. And um, uh, there's a lot of products on the marketplace that use TENS allegedly to alleviate menstrual cramps. But in her Instagram video, she said there's nothing like this on the market. So the parent company based out of Rexburg that I know from watching Instagram stories that she is affiliated with, uh, the way they position it is that using nanotechnology, it's a form of it's a form of alternative medicine that uses nanotechnology in the form of antennas to help you find relief from intense levels of pain naturally. And then they kind of go through this like metaphor of like how it works by explaining like there's somebody screaming and you're trying to reach somebody in the room, but the, the screaming person is like isn't allowing you to. So you like you eliminate the screaming person. I don't know. It was like a little confusing. Anyways, I'm not even here to talk about that. I, I don't know enough about the brand, the legitimacy of it, any of it to comment. Um, but all that to say, I think she's spearheading kind of the women targeted form of this signal relief with this patch. And I support the cause, but there's like very little information about the science or the trials. She said they've she tested it on like 12 women, which is definitely not like a does not a sample size make. I'm sure they've done a plenty of R&D, though. I can't imagine you would launch into the marketplace without doing so. Um, but yeah, it's it's her entire Instagram persona is shifting to be about this device. I have to imagine she negotiated this following into whatever um, job that uh, she kind of got brought in to do this she calls it her company but like it is a separate company and somewhere on instagram she alluded to the fact that the ceo is is maybe her brother i'm very unclear on this whole story it's super confusing the launch keeps getting pushed back she's been teasing it since like september october they like ideated it in mexico in the middle of a pandemic i just am confused regardless of what the product is i think it's basically going to be something that they're leveraging this following that she built under different premises to find women ambassadors and affiliates to promote it, even though the product is already available outright unbranded as a women's menstrual product. It is actually a pay, just a general pain relief product. I just think this is like an offshoot separate branding and it's gone from Jewel to Jovi and there's no like domain yet. I can't find anything in the USPTO TSS, the 
TESS, the trademark electronic search system for this specific product. But Jovi is kind of cluttered given the Bon Jovi of it all. There's a lot of Chinese uh, applications for trademarks in different categories for Jovi. There's a lot in pet products. I don't know. I assume I'm just missing something. But um, anyways, that's not even the point. My point, um, that's just kind of what I've dug up. So yeah, allegedly February 1st, they're releasing this menstrual cramp relief product that has antennas that is an alternative medicine using nanotechnology. It's a bunch of non-words without medical evidence yet that I'm interested to see how it turns out. Wish you all the best. My point is to point out that even when presented with leveraging her own best practices that she sells at a very high price point, she has chosen to bait and switch her own Instagram account to use it to promote a product that the people that originally followed her did not sign up or uh, opt in to follow. And just as you want to rely on and support and uplift a community of women through the promotion of this product that you will profit off of, that's fine that you want to help women. But if this was a truly altruistic venture, it wouldn't be a business venture that you have like investment in and are, you know, building up capital to be able to promote and deploy. Like, let's just like, you know, what? I, that's what's frustrating. It's like, I just want to help people. If you want to just help people, just help people. It's fine. This is a business. This is a product that helps people. But it's a business and a product. And you're trying to build out a network of affiliates, not a network of philanthropists. And if you're comfortable doing that bait and switch on your following, even though people did not opt in for it, people are entitled to have a dissenting opinion and to approve, disapprove, ask questions or not ask questions. And I'm just hopeful that any of the backlash isn't met with, you know, a victim playing mentality and rather an astute, firm businesswoman's mentality of, look, this made sense. I wanted to leverage my following. That's fine. I, but that's, that's just what was never said is my point. And I just want a little bit of explanation about why she thinks her business is different than everybody else's who was assured that they would grow and see the results they needed from her program. And there's actually a lot of literature out there now about like kind of, uh, online like growth coaching being kind of the new MLM in a sense in that there is a, a tendency to prey on vulnerable people. Again, not talking about Susie, but I'm talking about broad strokes types of uh, coaching that combine like women's empowerment with business building that almost take this approach, hybrid approach of both therapizing and coaching an individual to be them their best selves, to not argue for their limitations and to build something super similar to the thing this person's already built. And you guys listened to my last podcast, probably Beth of Both Worlds. I I love a broad strokes, wax poetic, motivational speech. I, I do not want people living within their limitations. I think that life is largely a science experiment where people are admonished for what science is based in, which is wild experimentation, which is trying things not to prove their hypothesis necessarily right, but to gain experience and broaden our understanding of the world independent of whether we meet our original hypothesis or not. To try and to fail are both valuable experiences, but not everybody is coming from a place where they can financially afford to fail. And the real the reality of what people need to succeed in business and people needing to start their business on the side and needing to understand what income their family needs to support their physiological needs and foregoing passion, empowerment, blah, 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 uh, to first make sure that you have a roof over your head and food in your mouths and you can afford all of your expenses. Like, that's what matters. 
I believe I want you to follow your dreams, but I want you to follow your dreams in a reasonable method that you can do on the side until you can prove out a profitable model enough that enables you to live off of it. And so you don't put your family in jeopardy. And I think that's the piece a lot of coaches aren't really including in this package because it's a, that's the hard part. The difficult piece is making it work financially. I had to leave my rug business that did really well, mind you, but it was it made money and it was really expensive to run. I couldn't achieve the economies of scale necessary. You know what would help me you know, step into 2021 with the right foot on the right foot? What's the phrase? I was trying to use a segue. Make your mark on the new year with comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags from Rothy's. Have you heard about Rothy's? We've talked about them several times on this podcast. I love them. They make stylish, sustainable shoes and bags, carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like marine plastic and repurposed plastic water bottles. Not a joke. What's crazy is that sounds so like like wearing plastic on your feet, like, huh? But their shoes are insanely comfortable with zero break-in period thanks to their seamlessly knit-to-shape design. They have incredible shoes. I have the Chelsea like booty in this uh, leopard color. Their most popular shoe is called the Point in Black, Point with no E, which we approve, has the has over 3,000 near-perfect reviews. And starting off the year with their comfy shoes, brand new bags, and washable masks is the best way to get off on the right foot. There it is. They're extra comfortable. Vogue calls them a personal obsession and health says they're the most comfortable shoes on earth. On earth. Honestly, I agree. They come with free shipping and free returns on eligible items so you can gift without worry and beyond that, they're fully machine washable, so you can just refresh them as needed. From start to finish, Rothy's prioritizes sustainability in manufacturing every step of the way. So to check out all of the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com, go to rothys.com slash be there in five. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S, rothys.com slash be there in five. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash be there in five today. Ironically, now I am adding mats back into my merch store because I have the means now to invest in a way to do it passively that I didn't have before because I was always scraping. Um, everything I did to call, required so much investment and I didn't get that at first. I apologize if you're new here. I just never, I never want to repeat myself. The way I got started is like I was in a normal corporate job, just like living my life. Um, I put turn off your straightener and turn off your curling iron on doormats, called them remind doormats. They went viral. I had to build out a business model and a supply chain to support the demand for these mats. But the problem is that a largely ornamental uh, set of words and design on a rug is not super proprietary. It got rampantly copied. Uh, while I was simultaneously trying to fulfill demand and figure out a way to make these mats, I realized that the flooring carpeting business is this, is a fascinating uh uh, category where to achieve economies of scale and drive costs down, you have to be ordering at insane levels of quantities that I could not meet at first, nor really could ever meet. And long story short, the only way I could make it work was if I just bought the mats blank because this, the minimums for the SKUs individually were too high for each and every phrase that I figured out how to hand paint them, hired people, created this whole process, took a year sourcing and figuring out how to get them screen printed, sold in Nordstrom stores, sold on Wayfair, started to scale up, realized I don't want to own a product-based business. I don't want to own a flooring empire. It's impossible to gain meaningful income while still growing this business in a category that makes it incredibly difficult for a small player to thrive. Hence why most rug manufacturers are massive. And I was being run out of my own business by people that would basically, huge, huge companies, a lot of their products are just Photoshopped online 
and based off of things that are popular and they have ways they mine this data of what people are looking for, they were putting my phrases and designs on mats and undercutting my pricing substantially and undercutting my um, processing time substantially and a way that I can't compete with because my prices and my processing time were a function of my size because I wasn't buying in quantities that drove the cost down. I didn't have the manufacturing capability to make the process faster. We were largely hand painting or individually screen printing mats. It's a whole thing. Anyways, it wasn't sustainable. I could have worked my ass off to make it work, but I realized that in a category that's largely unproprietary, when I was getting completely consumed by essentially copying, um, I wanted to ground my life and career in something that was uniquely mine in something that was specific to me. And I realized no matter what I was going to do in life, I needed people to follow me and not the math. So like this is that's when I pivoted and I was literally I was incredibly depressed. I had not a lot going on. I got a dog named him Tugboat. He's the love of my life. And um, I wrote a book about social media and how bad it was making me feel about the time. Uh, I started this podcast when I needed a friend the most and started talking to you guys, even though I wasn't really talking about what was going on. I was just distracting myself with other things. And oddly, the career became this podcast. And I know it's a weird path and I know it's not a relatable one. And I feel weird about it because it's so self-gratifying. But that's where I am now. And I talk about pop culture, celebrity gossip, influencers, uh, things related to the millennial lifestyle and experience that I think are largely trivialized in the favor of broader world interests. But I think the distractions are important. I think range is important. But above all else, I'm a regular person, like in a position that a lot of celebrities and influencers are in. And while I myself, ironically, have influencer tendencies, I post swipe ups. I've done an ad now with Bravo. Very exciting. It was my first. I waited three years to take a, a formal paid ad because I needed it to fit so badly. And this podcast, just like TV or radio, is ad supported by whatever subset of advertisers are willing to pay for podcasts that align with my target demographic and are things that I have tried and like or that my target audience will potentially like. You know, it's the media, it's the media ecosystem. Subscriber fees or ads. This is free with ads. Patreon has subscriber fees for uh, bonus content. You guys know the drill. But the reason I qualify all this just in case anybody's new and is like, who's this bitch speaking out of turn? Um, I also want to maintain a level of separation where I can hopefully be a voice of reason in a space that contains so much bullshit because I don't like I don't profit off of you taking my business advice. I don't I, I don't profit off of secrets. I, I You can take or leave anything I'm saying, but I do always want to maintain a level of transparency and reality as it relates to the ways I think influencers can dupe people. And a big way this is done is kind of with this girl boss uh, trend that, you know, largely propelled by the Rachel Hollis's of the world encourages you to follow your dreams, go off on your own and be a boss babe business owner, but often in the context of joining an MLM and essentially paying f like money up front for inventory, you may or may not be able to sell to build the dreams of some dude at the helm while calling yourself a girl boss that deliberately markets to women that are vulnerable that they want to trick into thinking they own their own business when they don't. And or inspiring people to grow their own Instagram, they're following their marketing to monetize Instagram in a way that's allegedly formulaic and there's all these secret secrets for on a platform you inherently cannot game because it is changing so often. And 
it's it's an interesting space where I think there's a lot of nuance. And I'm the first person to tell you, like, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to make you feel like you don't have permission to do what you want to do or you're not worth what you're charging. And I think this is something women are up against constantly. And I do not want to anybody to be confused by what I'm saying with general opposition to women charging what they think that they are worth. Because the difference to me, while I think that many people's personal experiences make them qualified to give them anecdotal advice, just like I have given about my math, math business or experience with a podcast, we only know our own experiences. Um, I do think that the commercial value one attaches to that advice, uh, d- the credentials, background, degrees, whatever it is that kind of uh, provides both an objective and subjective uh, take to build a curriculum off of is important. I used to do consulting specifically for small Etsy shops trying to scale because I learned so much through that and thought it was like way too hard to figure out. But even after doing that, I felt weird about it because I feel like I, I felt like I couldn't meaningfully help people. I could like point them in the right direction, but it kind of wasn't enough for me. And what's interesting is that more often than not, I would find people really needed encouragement. People were really in their own heads. And I want people to have, you know, if, if a guru or a coach is helping you kind of get out of your own way so you can offer your gifts to the world. Like, that's awesome. But I do think there is a line of where there's a price point and a promise that is not backed up by credentials whatsoever, is too anecdotal to the individual's personal experience and privilege, and, you know, puts people at risk of having no useful advice that they paid for from an uncertified educational curriculum that doesn't have the objectivity to be able to apply it to as many broad circumstances as possible because everything's so different. I just like, I think you have to consider people's intentions. Um, I think in many cases, in the absence of, I forget if I talked about this, but like, like, okay, if you're a photographer, like you yourself have limits where you physically can be. It's important to scale your business and diversify income sources in ways that you don't have to be present where you can leverage your knowledge in, in a broader, you know, methodology that doesn't require your attendance, right? Like Caitlin James is brilliant at this. And the, I think she's a, is she as a, a photographer, an influencer, a business owner, an innovator is offers up a sterling example of how to leverage your talents, your taste, your unique input and proprietary experience in building a brand to create something that is scalable and fairly universal um, and accessible is the other piece of that, right? Things at varying price points and whatever. Um, I just think she, like, I don't want to knock uh, shifting from a core trade to more of an advisory coaching education standpoint because I think education is super valuable in so many contexts um, but in non-specific broad strokes marketing Instagram social media growth hacking stuff you do need to be careful and in summary <laughs> every time I say in summary I want to it's just very Hamilton sir I was a captain under General Montgomery until he caught a bullet in the neck in Quebec and well in summary <laughs> That was an on beat, but you know what I mean. Um, in summary, 
while I don't think you need fancy degrees and certifications to do everything, I do think that when you're being asked to pay a high dollar amount for something that's really difficult to guarantee and highly nuanced, um, that the uh, background of the person, the vastness of their experience, their credentials, degrees or qualifications in the space should be factored in because those should ultimately be driving the value. Does that make sense? Moreover, watch if the person uses their own advice to grow businesses to the level of success they claim you can achieve using their methodology. And if they are not, you have your answer. I'm sure this is going to be a a product that does well. I wish for success, but I do think it proves a point that this like sort of coaching stuff is more is less of a guaranteed foolproof strategy based on precedence and more so a function of the actual core income source actually not working that well. So coaching is the thing that is done to make more income under the premise of this person having wild success that if they actually had, they would just do the thing that makes them successful and not have to coach about it. Hot take. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is high risk. <laughs> um, where was I? The other th- what was the thing I said I was going to complain about later? Oh, yeah, Meghan Markle's podcast. Okay, well, I'm on a hot take. And then don't worry, I'll still go over the Pinterest trends. Whatever, this is a long podcast. Okay. <laughs> you guys know I've defended Meghan Markle to the death. Like, I, I I, really like her. I think she did the right thing for them. I think it should have been Sus Exit, not Megxit. I think they both had a major role in ultimately leaving the royal family. I think they're not high-ranking enough royals to justify not being allowed making uh, not being allowed other revenue streams um that he's not in meaningfully in line for the throne like they they lived within the utmost restrictions of that that role comes with without experiencing a lot of the benefits i think that offset those restrictions and yes they have fame and you know fortune and whatever and like they had a big trust and but like like allegedly they couldn't accept free gifts or free anything they couldn't enter and enter into any sort of private business or enterprise. Their earning potential is tremendous. And realistically, from a business standpoint, it makes sense that they left. This was almost a year ago. Um, and I also think that the horrendous treatment of Meghan Markle, the racist media, the inside leaks and the lack of interest in the Queen and the Cambridges defending her and welcoming her in, rather kind of spinning and using things against her and stoking the the press flames of the negativity toward her it wasn't very familial and all the while the queen backs up prince andrew known pedophile like you know whatever you guys get it so all that to say i i actually i think it, it makes sense why they left and i think we don't maybe realize how frustrating being on the inside of the firm is and how you can't trust anybody and anything is, can and will be held against you. And how Harry ultimately saw his mother perish from these downfalls that he now has, is an adult and has the ability to prevent for his family and like whatever. Um, but that said, they got a $40 million Spotify deal to start a podcast called Archwell Audio. They got a basic Squarespace logo and posted a their first episode. It's 33 minutes. And I want to be clear. I was excited to see... Some of the names like uh, Stacey Abrams, like Rachel Cargill, there are definitely valuable contributors to the program. And I don't want to generalize, but if I'm going to generalize to like the mega wealthy, mega celebrity level of contribution that existed within it, 
so it was 33 minutes. They talked hardly at all, with the exception of like some light, meaningless back and forth. And like Archie said a few words, uh, which was cute. Uh, but it was like James Corden, Elton, Sir Elton John, Deepak Chopra, uh, Brene Brown. I'm trying to think who else there was. I mean, there was a lot of great people. Who else? Uh, Naomi Osaka, George the Poet. Like then also Tyler Perry, which is fine. But it just was such an interesting format where one, you know, not... I, I realized that all of the, well, they said like they wanted to represent guests from different walks of life, but many are very much independently wealthy. And it was a little out of touch to hear them talk about how COVID-19 affected them when, you know, it's like you're in pain is pain and you're entitled to your story. But I don't know if like the uplifting end of year wrap up holiday special needed to be hearing the pain of like Sir Elton John and Tyler Perry. Like it just was an interesting choice. Um, and I think then there's people like the Brene Browns of the world who I really do like, but like I can listen to interviews with any of them anywhere all the time. They're so such highly featured over interviewed people. Um, but beyond that, they didn't actually interview anybody. They forewent actually having conversations and just had people record like one to two minute reflections of their experience of 2020, their hope for the next year, blah, blah, blah. And like, it was just flat, flat, flat to me, if I'm being honest. And um, that th that's not even the point. Like they opened up so little uh, of themselves, yet talked in kind of these lofty platitudes about the importance of connection and vulnerability and openness, while simultaneously sharing nothing of themselves. And trust me, I get it. I, I don't think sometimes you understand your needs for privacy until it's taken from you. Or in Harry's case, he's never had it. And I understand the desire to pull back into adapt a media strategy that responds more to negativity and criticism because of how it deeply affects you. But the trade-off there is in doing that, you disengage from and withhold from the much larger share of audience that supports you and is highly engaged, but they're no longer benefiting from the very thing that gives you value because they're being left out. You're withholding to prevent the the criticism. And it, it makes sense. But at the same time, when you're given $40 million from Spotify, $40 million, think what that could do for small smaller creators. Like, to me, the value of Harry and Meghan, I don't want to dismiss their creative direction, directorial or you know production skills, but neither of them by trade are uh, content creators necessarily. I know Meghan's been an actress and uh, you know had her uh, website fashion lifestyle blog that was like kind of a mini publisher hub. Like I don't discount her skill set, but like the, the value is not that they're like, you know, Ryan Murphy levels of skill when it comes to creating content for these places like Netflix, where they have a, a allegedly over a hundred million dollar deal or Spotify, where they have over $40 million. They were given that before even creating anything. The value to me is in people being interested in their life, their perspective, their journey, their experiences, their honesty, the scoop that we're withheld from. Yet they're taking the money and using it to make content about other people and things, which is fine. I just think there's a disconnect between the valuation of their persona and the value they plan to deliver through their podcast is not actually, I think, what people's ears are wanting to tune into. And it's just interesting watching places like Spotify or Sirius or whatever put so much money into podcasts, but they're largely celebrity driven. And the problem with celebrities taking so much share of ear in the podcast space is like, you know, not only is, does it make it hard for people like me to survive, but beyond that, 
it's kind of like, I, th- I think a lot of celebrities and public figures that already have tremendous reach for you starting a podcast is like, okay, fine, I'll have an Instagram account. I'll have another media touch point that's minimal effort, but allows me to stay relevant and top of mind, which is fine. But these people are getting paid tons of money to do the bare minimum, kind of phone in something high level that they can expect a default number of ears from just because of people's interest in celebrities and what they'll say and make them highly produce, beef them up with ads and churn them out like any other show and they dominate the charts and Apple and Spotify prioritize them, their features. And yet it's just not even the, like, it just, there's nothing ethically wrong with it. It just sucks that so often it's so transparent that this is not a medium that people are passionate about or, or take as seriously as I think a lot of other people do. Um, and I just felt like Harry and Meghan's special was so comically phoned in for the amount they were, they're being paid for this podcast. Uh, and also I think it's interesting that kind of the signature intimacy that makes podcasting so special and valuable, thus driving that valuation is the very thing they're denying their listeners because they're so private. I just don't think you have any business having a podcast if you're not going to share yourself and be vulnerable yourself. And it kind of the audacity to request that from people while simultaneously providing none of it, I find incredibly frustrating, especially given that many people, myself included, and I just don't think you have any business listening to me or giving me your time of day if I'm not opening up and giving you something in exchange. And I think I'm just a little disenchanted by even my own industry sometimes. And uh, Harry and Meghan's debut podcast. Uh, I, I I pray that going forward, they're going to open up and actually tell their side of the story or whatever, but they're not because like if they ever do that, they can get a multi-million dollar book deal. I don't know. And rant. Um, but that to say, support small and mid-sized creators. Use their codes for advertisers, download and stream their stuff, subscribe to their Patreon, give them five stars, follow them on Instagram. Support people <laughs> that aren't celebrities because I just... I don't know. It's like so on the one hand, really cool that people see the value of podcasts and there's being so many ad dollars and so many um, uh, publishers and networks that are shifting uh, dollars and attention toward it. But at the same time, the name of the game is popularity is reach is numbers. And it's just become an impossible medium to grow through. You kind of have to be popular in order for one to work. And I just think it uh, really kind of eclipses a lot of opportunities for new and diverse and non-celebrity talent that might have more relatable, real-world, vulnerable advice to give to people that are also human, regular people that probably should be taking advice from normal people and not celebrities. (laughs) Okay. When we went into uh, quarantine, I, uh, you know, I think I posted the other day, there was a thing on TikTok that was like, post the thing you posted the day the world changed on March 13th. And mine was me trying to buy a super nintendo but instead all that came up on instacart was super greens and i was like this now is not the time for vegetables we need games we need distractions and this is also the case with a new well new to me game that i've heard a lot of people on podcasts talk about called best beans best beans is a match three or casual mobile puzzle game that is free to download it is so much fun it has a hundred million downloads And it's just kind of casual gameplay that you can fit into your day-to-day life if you just want to be pleasantly uh, distracted by an instant classic like the likes of Super Mario back in the day. I am sure other people in your life have played Best Fiends or you've at least heard about it. And I'm dying to know what you guys think too because I feel like this is very like top of mind pop culturally. And 
It's a five-star rated mobile puzzle game that's a must-play. You can befriend a cast of fiends who help you solve each level and defeat the slugs. They're slimy but cute baddies. <laughs> Once you tell the best fiends, you can't put it down. Uh, it's kind of like uh, just one more level. You know what I mean? Just one more episode type of situation. The fun never ends, and there are 5,000 puzzle levels and counting. So if you were worried you'd run out of fun, do not worry. There's always another update, whether it's more levels, new events, or other changes to the game based on fan feedback. But just don't blame me if you you end up a little bit obsessed. I love to lose track of time on things like this. <laughs> it's a good time. We need distraction now more than ever. But it's Best Fiends. It's like friends without the R. So you can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends, F-I-E-N-D-S, on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Enjoy. Okay, so today, okay, I'm an hour and a half in. <laughs> I I just never know what I'm going to be consumed by. I feel like this isn't the strongest episode to start out my 2020, but such is life. I was going to go through all these Pinterest predictions, but I got so distracted. I guess I'll just start talking, and if I run out of time, we'll just put it in another episode. There's just too much going on. Uh, oh, so, yeah, how much did I explain earlier? I'm lost. <laughs> Very professional operation. Uh, there's no more ads, by the way. Uh, I think that, like, I talk about nostalgia a lot in a way that I don't want to be cliche. and But also, it's kind of a form of escapism for me for a simpler time. And I feel like when I saw that Pinterest, like, released these, like, 2021 trends, I wanted to go over it with you guys. So we were, like, ahead of the curve, one – but also, I don't know. I feel like when I was in peak Pinteresting, I was kind of cosplaying as an adult. And that's why it was fun. It was like, let me hope and dream and pin and mood board all the things that will make me such a fabulous hostess and wife and mother and homeowner and blah, blah, blah. Like all these things that are so fun to dream when you have youth on your side. But now I'm a full-blown 33-year-old woman just wasting away my fertile years talking about coaching courses from mommy bloggers that have no implications on my life, but I think are interesting to report on all the while. I'm not really, I'm not really pinning anymore. I mean, the state of the world, like I don't really love to mood board in a shitstorm, but like in general, I just don't feel like I like dream and like cultivate my sense of wonder in the way I once did. And I do feel like there's a level of importance, especially right now, especially amidst a global pandemic still and spending increased time at home and trying to find ways to inject joy into our days, I do think hobbies and interest in dreaming and pinning and kind of getting lost and having our time consumed by things that don't have function so much as they just have exploratory, experimental, and, you know, joyful uh, purpose, I think are important. And I wanted to know, like, what are, where are people hanging their hat this year? Like, what uh, trends are popular? What should we watch out for? Whether it's like, uh, clothing or decor or crafts and hobbies whatever it may be like let's get lost in some hobbies and interests if only to have a form of escapism um and also like I just freaking love Pinterest those were, the, those were some of the best days of my life I looked back on a photo of myself from early 2011 when this year started because I always like to go back a decade and be like what was I doing and while I barely rolled out of bed here in 2021 uh since I'm somewhere hung over the rainbow I um in 2011, the audacity I had marching into that year, wearing a boot sock, a rain boot sock. Hunter boots were the status symbol in 2011. They were like $200 galoshes. 
the brainwash I experienced from said galosh was astounding. Um, not that they're not functional now. They make sense in a lot of climates, particularly rainy ones or puddly ones. I live in a very cold climate. It didn't make a lot of sense. I was showing up wearing hunter boots to like bars. And I thought I looked like a chic peak of couture fashion blogger when I just was more of like a high key cranberry bogger. And for that, I am not grateful to Pinterest. But I also, I felt great. And that's all that matters. It was a simpler time. Hold on, Tug, what's having like a meltdown because I'm eating pizza. You know what I was also thinking about is like, there's like two phases of being a young woman. The one where you just eat pizza and then the one where you think you're taking your health and wellness into your own hands by dabbing the pizza with a paper towel to get the grease off of it because you saw some other skinny bitch next to you at a bowling alley doing that and being like, yeah, grease. I'm not getting fat. And you're like, oh, my God. And to this day, every time I eat a greasy piece of pizza, I want to paper towel it. But it doesn't do anything. It's ridiculous the things we deal with. Anyway, um, yeah, I just, you know, let's... Uh, Let's start at the new year on a light note. Go over some trends. Get ahead of things so we can be as cool as Gen Z. Uh, and think back to a simpler time when, I don't know, <laughs> you showed up to a house party in a rain boot. And we're like, you guys like foster the people? <laughs> and some days all that keeps me warm is the thought of my former extensive faux fur vest collection. So I could be prepared to apple pick at the drop of a felt fashion hat. I wasn't. Actually, maybe never invited to an apple orchard. Uh, but, did, you know, you dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And the job I wanted was to be a person that stood on a city street with a Starbucks cup that was part of my outfit, wearing an equipment blouse, an oxblood denim, maybe a loafer, a fur vest. I don't know if I was feeling wild. Not a bubble necklace. I know I talk about those too much, but, like, it's, it's, it's the thing that icons are made of. Before we had bubble butts, we had bubble necklaces, we had bubble hams, we had bubble boy. His parents are out of jail, by the way. Exciting news. Um, and I also laughed too. Now I'm just reminiscing about Pinterest. I swear I'll get to the point. But we had just such low standards for copy and captioning. It's kind of astounding. And, and uh, you know, like every... Um, I, I, like every person that was showing us how to like wand their hair or, you know, do a, you know, elaborate, lengthy fishtail braid, their caption for the entirety of the past decade has been long hair, don't care. And every time I was like, <laughs> what a knee slapper. God, Amber, you're creative. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really didn't ask for much as a related related to like personality or originality in my bloggers. Uh, I even hyperbolically would comment on every basic B that, you know, took a long layover in Iceland. Remember when Iceland was cliche? My God, Reykjavik did a genius job positioning themselves as a long layover to Europe to get your pictures in the Amalfi Coast. I was like, oh my God, girl, burr much? <laughs> <laughs> like the cold looks good on you oh my god things are getting steamy there in that hot spring like at least if i've never seen a mega hottie in a hot spring i just played along i didn't care i the, the cl cliche vacation spots are funny because at one point everyone was going to like croatia then everyone went to thailand before the pandemic everybody was in japan um but iceland was definitely one that was like i'm so wild and exotic yet at the same time it was strangely ubiqu ubiquitous and redundant it's funny how it's funny how we, we uh, glean originality from things and ideas we quite literally get from mass amounts of other people, but whatever. That's kind of the nucleus of Pinterest, is finding yourself. 
through mimicking other people and not living up to the expectations of their highly curated Nikon, Canon, DSLR uh, depiction of said fashion, activity, craft, or home decor piece that they swear is easy and that is accessible because they're just like us. But actually, it was paid by an advertiser. They got all the products for free. They had ample amounts of help with their five to seven children and husband who works for them and highly resents them. Uh, but you don't see any of that. You just see like, if I can do it, you can too. And then you can't do it. But then you do it all over again because that's what we do. We don't need excellence. We don't need high output. We don't need things to work. We just need to feel Pinteresting for that moment. We need progress. I never went to Iceland, but I did spend like a lot of time pre-2014 essentially in Morocco. Not actually, but like I had a lot of stuff from World Market and my trellis rugs were calling the shots in my home. You know, recently I, we got a new sofa. It was like brown leather. Um, and I've never done leather in my home. I've never done brown in my home. We're, we're largely a cool-toned people. Uh, but I really wanted to change things up because I spent so much time in my apartment. It took me like 90 days to pick out a rug. And my husband was kind of like, geez, oh, Pete. Now he doesn't talk like a 1940s newscaster. But um, <laughs> I, and, and, I don't know. It's just like this is also what's funny to me about like Pinteresting and idea pinning and dreaming and all this stuff. And why I want to talk about it and celebrate it so much because truly – uh, not my husband, really, but, like, it did make me laugh because, you know, he, like, he'll drop everything for a fantasy draft, and I respect that. But why can't I spend the better part of three months trying to find the perfect distressed Persian? Like, I don't know how to make you understand the task at hand of tying the whole home together. We, this is, like, you know, the conversation every couple has with throw pillows. Dudes think they're unnecessary and that it's weird that they're just for decoration. They're not functional. You can't put your oily face on them. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you see another household item at an affordable price point that's able to tie in both color and texture to uniquely display our signature style? Do you even know what I've been through? Spending all this time in the past decade pursuing a, the whitest of white kitchens, investing my time and money on Craigslist let go and offer up into gray upholstery? I, at one point, in an effort to save money, participated in the toughest stuff by trying to tuft my own stuff because I wanted my home to just be full from A to Z gallery, Hollywood Regency. I wanted my future to be a mirror, and that, by that I mean mirrored furniture only. Or I wanted bar stools that uh, I could not see that reminded me of the raw sexuality of Casper the Ghost, meaning Devin saw one. No, I'm not talking about a minor in a gross way, but when I was a kid, I was in love with Casper the Ghost. And that's the only way I can explain my mid-2010s affinity for ghost furniture, invisible chairs, and the like. The, those got uh, vetoed in my house, and I'm still not over it. I think I just blacked out. What am I talking about? Oh, I don't know. I just think, like, we put a lot of time and effort into making our spaces aesthetically pleasing and beautiful and easy on the eyes, and feng shui or whatever you do to make your ambiance both comfortable and functional. I I care a lot about aesthetics. I don't find that shallow at all. And I work hard to do it affordably. And I just feel like sometimes our efforts go unnoticed and things like Pinterest can be easily laughed at. And like I said earlier, we're the ones that should be making the jokes. I cannot stand when guys make fun of like women's interests or male comedians put on like wigs and talk about pumpkin spice lattes i'm like that's not even funny like get everybody's drinking pumpkin cold brews now like suck it give it the times 
I hate when like guys on TikTok make fun of their wives. I it's I struggle that on on this earth, somebody would feel comfortable making fun of my interests while simultaneously earnestly wearing a T-shirt that says Saturdays are for the boys. I will not stand idly by while anybody sits atop their bar stool and looks down on our bar carts, even though I use one for my printer now and I don't really even find them uh, to be all that trendy, but they were such an icon at one point. I did do an episode called Bar Cart Blanche, mostly just about the contents of my bar cart, despite most of the items on the bar cart's complete obsolescence because I don't know how to make cocktails, nor do I really drink them. But I wanted to be the weirdest in-home flight attendant toting around a cart that at the drop of a hat can make a PIMS or a RV wall banger or an old fashioned as long as you're cool not having the orange because I don't really keep produce in my house because I never eat it in time and then I just feel wasteful so I avoid healthy eating altogether. See earlier comment about paper towel and a pizza, I take care of my body. Can I just keep going? I'm feeling inspired. I don't even know what we're talking about now. I just miss the version of myself that <laughs> earnestly Ernestly said things at like at the brunch table, like, "Oh, I heard Chiabatta's the new brioche." Like simpler times. <laughs> now you have to make your own GD bread. I have to like grow live yeast in my house. That sounds disgusting. I like love that in the 2010s we paid twenty dollars for toast. Like during the Obama presidency, we just let people charge us a lot of money for bread. Think back to when the you know most alarming stuff on my Facebook feed was like people's boudoir shoots. My God, somebody inviting me to a, a bizarrely themed 5K where the trade-off at the finish line just does not seem like it's worth the physical labor. Like a hot chocolate or a singular beer. Like what? Are you, are you insane? Like, oh, hey, Kate, do you want to hang out Saturday at 6 a.m.? Like, no, of course not. <laughs> and do physical, like, act No. <laughs> It was a simpler time when I was making it rain with Groupons. I was deeply convinced that the urgency from a guilt city was real. I, I, at one point, I bought like a fan dress that was similar to the one Carrie wore in the Sex and City movie. Oh, like Rue La La. I think I got 5% off. And I was like, ooh, Halston Heritage Vintage. This one's going to appreciate. Investment piece. And it's like clothing and handbags aren't really investment pieces. They depreciate when you buy them. Maybe you can get some resale value. If you have a Chanel or something, it's a different story. If you have a Birkin, most of the time, it's not really stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and, you know, peasant blouses. Please don't invest your money in clothing and accessories for the most part. Um, I, I, I really, I don't know, you guys. What am I even talking about? I just, yeah, I miss, I miss a simpler time when... It was a legitimate pursuit to like go on Foursquare and be the mayor of a local eatery where it's just like a burger joint that had way too many toppings. I thought, I remember being like, oh my God, this is good. Like, this is crazy. People are putting food in trucks. And like, I can get my lunch from a real live hipster that looks like he takes canvas totes to the farmer's market and rides a bike that has ironic facial hair, Warby Parker glasses, a short sleeve button down, and an attitude as poor as the transmission on this rehabbed truck that he now sells food out of. But in the city of Chicago, you cannot cook food on a truck, so they just pre-make the food and then hand it out on the truck. But I, I don't I don't mind the cold food. If I get to have a really tense interaction with a rude guy, uh, you know, underneath the glow of an Edison bulb, I was still having a main character moment. I don't need reciprocated interest to indulge myself. <laughs> I was probably like, ooh, this light bulb's really illuminating your truck. Oh, speaking of, do you like the Lumineers? I have interesting taste in music. Like, what? 
Like he gave Edward Sharp and the magnetic zero fucks about anything I had to say. I was, I really wanted hipsters to like me and think I was interesting because they were so hard to impress. And like, I love a chase to impress somebody. One time, one time when I was traveling a lot for work, I had like pretty good airline status. So I'd get upgraded a lot and I am not a plane chatter, but a first class plane chit chat is always interesting. Uh, just because I think it's almost, you would think people would talk to you less, but I find people talk to you more because they're like lonely business travelers. Um, and I sat next to a guy that was a consultant for the Royal family of Bhutan and he wasn't lying. I looked it up and he started out the conversation like really, he was kind of like cold to me. And, um, as we started talking, like by the end of the flight, we talked about like tons of stuff. He was like, and now I'm so pissed that I wasn't offended by this because I was like so deeply flattered at the time. He was like, I just want you to know I'm really impressed by you. And I feel badly because you're wearing like a Burberry scarf. And I kind of assumed you were just like every other girl and that I meet in first class. But like, I think you're smart and interesting. And that gave me his card. And I was, and I remember being like, oh my God, I was smart and interesting. And more importantly, he thought this scarf was real because it is definitely for like a street pashmina that I got when I studied abroad that just looks like Burberry and is definitely not. Uh, I, and in retrospect, I'm like, that was like a weird backhanded compliment slash insult to women. And I don't know, like even the dude was judging me by my scarf that I thought people would judge me more favorably for. Um, but now I look at like a lot of designery stuff and I'm like grossed out by it. That's like a big change I've had in my, as I've gotten older, like I just bought myself a, a purse for the first time in like years. Uh, and it's like pretty simple. It's like a camera bag. It has a kind of this like embossed style of monogram that just says KK on it that I got from Leatherology. It wasn't cheap. It was like over $200. Um, I don't say that to brag, but I say that because I I haven't been inspired to buy anything because I just think I'm so disenchanted and uninterested in labels. And I just rather like wear something with my name on it that is kind of unmarked. And I think that like, I don't know, I, it's a change in myself I need to explore. And I think I find myself both enjoying material things and being so utterly grossed out by consumerism and like you know, the Turtle Creek Lane car of it all, people caring about like labels and designers and who makes things instead of like what they actually are and how they look. And it's just interesting when you really sit down and like think about wealth distribution and how people jump through hoops and there's so many loopholes to avoid paying taxes when like, why do you need that much money? Uh, 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 like, I, one of my new obsessions is looking up really high-priced art and looking at how it exchanges hands over time and what the people like buy or sell right before they buy or sell the art because it's essentially like I'm not saying art doesn't have value but it's just it, there's just so many loopholes with it and when you look at the people that buy the most expensive art it's just so I don't know it just feels transparent to me of like if you Okay, so if you, A, the price is subjective, right? And it on, oftentimes anonymously exchanges hands between wealthy investors. Even those that are public, they oftentimes donate it to a public charity or museum. And you can potentially, you know, completely eliminate any capital gains tax you would pay on the appreciation of the art 
uh, when you sell it. There's also stuff in tax code where like, I think this applies to real estate too. I don't know a lot about <laughs> tax code, but if you invest, like if, okay, if you sell something that is appreciated like real estate or art, if you want to defer paying capital gains tax, you can reinvest it in something uh, like I think they call it like kind, where if you invested in something similar, you can keep moving the money and defer any capital gains tax. It's just it's I don't know, you guys, I don't know enough to be talking about it on the record. These are just things I Google late at night that I have no context for. But even like uh, I was looking up, I noticed that like David Geffen uh, buys and sells a lot of the most expensive art pieces in the world. And as one does, I just was making like a late night spreadsheet looking at like, OK, he sold you know, since 20, 2006, he's he bought $823 million worth of art uh, that over the course of roughly 10 years, because he sold most of it in tw uh, 2015, appreciated to $1.074 billion. And it's just like, art's so interesting to me. All these paintings were from the uh, 40s and 50s. It was like a Jackson Pollock, a, a Jasper Johns, something else. Um, and like after offloading a bunch of his art in 2006, you know, right afterward, he made a $2 billion all cash offer to buy like the LA Times. So like these, it, I don't know, the, the correlation is not causation, but it's interesting to watch art move and watch the... Um, business deals made within a short time frame and it's just like damn 251 million dollars and arbitrary uh profit from the subjective appreciation of art that if you lend to any sort of public institution for any time prior to the price of the sale you avoid capital gains tax on you just like sink up like it's just so interesting to me to have like an extra billion just to like sink into art on the side that just goes untaxable sorry anyway moving on I guess the beginning reflection was more about simpler times. Um, <laughs> that I uh, I don't know. I like I said. I felt like at one point in life, I was when I was pinning the most I was kind of like cosplaying an adult. But now I'm a full blown adult, and I don't know if I'm less inspired because of the times, or I have like a more realistic grasp on my like life and income and like the reality of how often I have company over, and I'm just not like dreaming as much about these things. I don't know what's wrong with me, but. I thought maybe if we get lost in Pinterest predicts, um, then we could feel inspired for the upcoming year. Anyway, okay, so yeah, Pinterest predicts. So what this says, let me open it. We'll make fun of a lot of this because it is hilarious. But again, we're the ones that get to make these jokes. Uh, but also it's kind of a funny function of the, the current environment we're in. Because, like for example, I mean, one of the, the searches that's on the up and up is just people pinteresting to how to visualize your highest self and like bless our hearts bless our hearts we just are like we, what do you do when you're at your lowest like i i just want to give a bear hug to everybody that hears things like you know about alignment and manifestation and visualizing your highest self like what the hell does that mean like the time i ate an edible or like is there some version of me that's like really enlightened and interesting and funny and not self-conscious and like makes a ton of money and is just successful and doesn't care what anybody thinks like like is well rested like is that possible if so yeah how do i get there is that something i should be pinteresting mood boarding vision boarding 
like, I don't know how do the galoshes tie in. I just feel like I've always been trying to improve myself. But is there like a high, high itself that I'm missing here? I don't know, you guys. Anyways, okay. Oh my God, I'm still not to Pinterest predicts. Uh, I'm probably gonna, um, hold on, you guys. Uh, okay. Mm, okay, guys, Um, I gotta go. Courtney just texted me about something in DC. I go on media blackouts when I record. Holy shit. Okay, I gotta go. My husband's in DC. I need to figure out what's going on. Um, I don't know. Do all the things. Love you so much. Take care of yourselves. As always, <clears throat> let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I will be there in five. I hope. <laughs>